You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all this morning. It feels quite a long time since I've preached a word, but I don't suppose it is actually that long. But this is going to be hopefully a good one. It's really spoken to me this week as I've prepared for it. So I am preaching to myself today, as I usually do, to be fair. So I want to start today with a story. In the summer of 1859, a man called Charles Blondin became famous for walking across the, or above the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He went several times back and forth between Canada and the United States, which is a distance of about 340 metres, and huge crowds on both sides looked on in shock and awe. He crossed on stilts. Another time he went across on a bicycle and actually one time he took a stove across and halfway across he cooked himself an omelette. And the story goes that on one occasion, Blondin walked across the tightrope blindfolded whilst pushing a wheelbarrow. And on arriving on the other side, he asked his audience for some participation. And it said that he said to them, do you believe that I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow. And of course, the crowd shouted, yes, they believed that he could. He had proven that he had the skills to do that. There was no doubt in their mind that he could push a person across in a wheelbarrow. Then Blondin posed the question, who will get in the wheelbarrow? And of course, nobody said yes. The crowd had faith in Blondin's ability to push the wheelbarrow across safely, but none of them actually trusted him to do it. Not for them anyway. So today we're thinking about trust and I've called my message, When Trusting in God Seems Too Hard. Trust is a massive part of being a Christian and walking a Christian life. And faith and trust are very similar. They're like two sides of the same coin. For those grammar nerds out there, I consider myself amongst you, faith and trust are actually what's called synonyms. So they are words that mean similar or the same thing. So they're interchangeable. But they are actually a little bit different. So I want to help you try and understand the difference a little bit today. Again, grammatically speaking, faith is a noun and the definition of faith is to have complete confidence in someone or something. So trust is also a noun and it means the same thing as faith but it is also a verb. So it's a doing word or an action word. Trust is the outworking of faith. Trust is faith in action. It's an active thing, it's not a passive thing. So try and bear that in mind today. Oh, sorry, going on too far. So some of you may have played trust games, either as a child or if you've been lucky enough to do corporate away days where you've had to do trust games with your colleagues. Um, You might have had to fall backwards into someone's arms. You may have had to be led blindfold through some obstacles. And you may have had the faith that the person can catch you or lead you. But do you trust that they will catch you 
or lead you. I believe it can be like that with God at times. Certainly it can for me. We might have the faith to believe he can do something. He can heal us. He can mend relationships. He can find us the perfect job or the perfect house. But we don't necessarily trust that he will do it. Certainly not the way we want him to. Trusting God is about putting our faith into action. Has anyone here ever done a parachute jump? No, me neither. Um, I'd like to, to be honest. Um, But when you're on the ground and you've got your parachute on, you probably have faith that your parachute is going to work. But you don't have to put your trust into that parachute until the moment you are on the edge of the plane and you have to step out. Then at that moment, the faith in the parachute turns into the active trust that that parachute is going to open and get you to the ground safely. So hopefully you can start to see that trust is about putting your faith into action. Oh, sorry, I keep pressing the clicker instead of this thing. I haven't quite got the hang of driving it all at the moment. Well, trust is an important concept in the Bible. It's mentioned many, many times, particularly in the Psalms, where we are encouraged to put our trust in God. Here are just some examples from the Psalms. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. But why is trust so important? Well, if you think about it, trust is essential in building strong human relationships you know, both personally and professionally. If you don't trust somebody, it's really difficult to have a good, strong relationship with them. And as a Christian, I have a personal relationship with God. So for that relationship with God to be healthy and strong, I need to trust in him, just as I do with my human family and friends. Otherwise, if I don't trust in God, my relationship with him is going to break down. But how can we develop trust in God? Well, like most skills or abilities worth developing, we get better at trusting God if we practice it. What are you good at? Maybe you're really good at sport or you play an instrument. You're a brilliant cook. Maybe you're really good at your job. Maybe there's a subject at school which you excel in. But were you good at it straight away? I doubt it. Maybe you were, but I doubt it. I expect that it probably took time to get good at it. That through practice and perseverance, your skills developed and you got good at that thing. When I was a youngster, much younger than I am now, I was good at gymnastics. And that wasn't because I pootled around the edges and went for an hour a week to practice. I went three or four times a week to practice and go into competitions and all that kind of stuff. I practiced hard and I got good at it. And bless my parents for the commitment they showed in taking me to those sessions. To teach us how to trust him more, God puts us into situations where we have to practice trust where we have to trust him. 
when I've, I think I've told you this before, but when our kids were younger, as a lot of parents do, we felt it was really important for them to learn how to swim, a good life skill. So we took them to swimming lessons. And on the first lesson, what we did not do was pick them up and throw them in the deep end and go, learn to swim. What we did is we took them to the toddler pool first, where they could stand up in the water, where they could get confident, where they learned the skills they needed, they build up their strength and their stamina, and then they got better and better at swimming, and they went consistently week after week, and they practised that skill until they got good at it. It is exactly the same with trust. Let me tell you the story of David and Goliath, which I'm sure you all know already. But here it is at its basic level. You've got the Israelites on one hill over here. You've got the Philistines on one hill over here. And in the Philistines camp, there is an enormous man who is about three metres tall. That's kind of two of me, called Goliath. And he is big and scary. And for 40 days... He came out of his camp and taunted the Israelites and said, send someone over to fight me. If I win, we get to be in charge of you. And if your man wins, you get to be in charge of us. And nobody, unsurprisingly, would go and fight Goliath. And then David turned up. David at this point was a teenage boy and what he'd spent his life doing was looking after sheep. He was not in the army. In fact, he was going to see his brothers to take them lunch. That's what he was doing there at the battle. Let me read you what the Bible tells us in the story. Starting, uh, We're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse 32. So he's talking, David is talking to the king. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, I, will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. He's been practicing. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And here's the important bit. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. In other words, David had learned how to trust God in previous situations when he was fighting lions and bears. And now, having practised, he's got the confidence to trust in God against Goliath. He has been practising trust. <coughs> David trusted that God would rescue him this time because he'd seen God do it before. And that's how we can develop our trust. When we see God come through for us one time, the next time it's easier to trust, and so on, and so on, and so on. And this helps us to build our trust in God. But trusting God needs to be an intentional 
decision. You will not, unfortunately, wake up one morning fully trusting in God. I wish that were the case, but it is not. We do not wake up fully trusting in God for every single situation. We have to make a choice about it. Consider this Bible verse, Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So back to grammar for a moment. There are four basic types of sentence in the English language. Um, one of them is an imperative sentence, and this is one of those. And it's basically a command. Okay, so it tells you something you have to do. In this sentence, the things that we have to do are commit our way to the Lord and trust in him. Those are the things that we are being told to do. But then there's a wonderful promise that if we do those things, if we do those things intentionally, if we do those things on purpose, then he will act. He will act. I like to think that I've got kind of a trust tank inside of me. And every time I build up a bit more trust, it fills up. And so every time I'm trusting God, I'm getting more and more trust in my tank. But sometimes my trust tank develops leaks and it all leaks back out again. Depends on the situation that I find myself in. So the trust goes up and then the trust goes down. And I find that the trust goes down, particularly when life is really tough. Because, you know, we're humans and we face knockbacks. We face challenges. Things are not always easy. And just like in any human relationship, when things don't go the way we thought or we planned or we hoped for, sometimes we lose trust, don't we? It's just natural. And there are some situations that is easier to trust God for than others. Some of you may know that when I go to a new place in the car that I'm not sure where to park, I pray for a parking space. Now that might sound really trivial, but I'll be honest with you, nine times out of 10 when I pray, I get a parking space. So I have pretty much 100% trust in God that I will get a parking space. It just happened to me on Friday. Went to Wyndham, please let there be a parking space in back lane, yes, and I could even drive in forwards. I didn't have to do any parallel parking. Thank you, Jesus. So I can find praying for parking spaces and trusting for them really easy. And I know that might sound a bit glib, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. That's what I pray for. But there's a current situation in my life, I'll be honest and vulnerable for a minute. I'm finding it really, really hard to trust God for, really hard really hard indeed. So let's think about that. When trusting in God seems too hard. That's what I've called my message as I said. Well, why am I finding it so hard to trust God in my current situation? Well, I think it's because I can only imagine in my human head that my circumstances are going to get worse, not better. I am fearful for the future. I can't imagine how my situation is going to resolve. And it all just looks a bit doomy and gloomy, if I'm honest. I have the faith that God can act, but I'm not sure 
I trust he will. Or if he does, will it be how I expect him to or how I hope that he will? And then when I think all of those things, I remind myself about Job. This is what the Bible says about Job. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So Job was living his best life. God said this about him. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. So not only was he successful, but he was a really nice bloke too. The sort of person you think, oh, if only I could be like Job. And then, you probably know the story, his entire life fell apart in a single day. I'm going to read from you Job chapter 1, starting at verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship, in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So in a single day, Job lost his family, his business, and everything he owned, and he is still praising God. I find that astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. And it doesn't end there for poor old Job. In chapter 2, we're told that he is afflicted with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And he sits among the ashes, scraping himself with a piece of broken pottery. I just want to weep for this man. What a 
sorry, sad image that conjures up in my head. And then his wife, who, by the way, definitely did not have the gift of encouragement, says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. She's basically saying to him, just provoke God a little bit more and then he'll put an end to it by killing you. But he says to her, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Even in all his sufferings, he recognises that troubles are inevitable. But you know what? For me, what's even more discouraging than all of that is that of the 42 chapters in the book of Job, for the first 37 chapters, God is silent. He doesn't say anything. And Job feels totally abandoned. Here are some of the things that Job said about God in the face of his silence. He said... All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. If only I knew where to find him. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. I wonder which of these feelings or sentiments you can relate to. I know I can certainly relate to some of these. But you know what? What this tells us is it's okay to rant at God. It's okay to be angry with him. It's okay to question him, to doubt him. These are all natural reactions and God is big enough to deal with it. So if you are feeling any of those things, please don't feel guilty about it. Because that's just another heap of suffering to put on top of yourself. But, and here is the challenge, despite all of the suffering that Job faced, he refused to turn his back on God. He faced God with the questions, the accusations, the complaints, the appeals. He did all of that, the ranting, But through it all, he continued to trust in God's goodness. In fact, he said this, God may kill me, but still I will trust in him. What an amazing role model and something certainly to aspire to. This is the key, isn't it? That we need to keep trying to find ways of trusting God despite what we might be going through. And it's really hard. And I wish that I could stand here today and say, do you know what, guys? I've got all the answers. I've got this three-step program. And if you do this in this order, it will all be okay. But I cannot stand here and tell you any of that this morning. But I can tell you, we're all going through it together. I know how it feels if you're struggling with trust. I am there with you today. I'm there. And what I find the hardest is God's silence. Paul at the moment is reading a book of ours called God on Mute by Pete Gregg, and I really, really recommend it if this is something that you're struggling with too. But in my experience, God is often silent 
in the most challenging times, not in the car, the, the parking space moments, but in the most challenging times when you really want to hear from him. But he does it, I believe, to develop our trust even further. He does it by making us wait. Because the longer we have to wait, the more we have to trust. Sometimes I imagine God looking at me, shaking my fists and ranting and getting angry. And I imagine that he is willing me to keep on trusting him. Going, Come on, you can, you can do it. Keep on trusting me. Is she going to trust me? Is she going to? Yes, she's still trusting me because he knows that in all of that, I am filling up my trust tank and I am building my character. And just to let you know, it's not all doomy and gloomy in Job. There's a happy ending. There's a happy ending because we see in the very last chapter, the Lord restored Job's fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. So when trusting in God seems too hard, what can we do? Well, we have some choices. We can worship or we can worry. We can praise or we can panic. And here are some ways that I have found useful to help me when I'm finding it hard to trust God. It's not a three-step program, it's just some ideas and some suggestions. We do need to make a choice. We need to say, I will trust in you, God, no matter what. Even if you're saying it through gritted teeth. You need to be intentional. Make the choice to trust in him no matter what. Remind ourselves of God's promises. I know I've talked about those before and I told you about a man who'd gone through the Bible to find out how many promises and he'd come up with a number of 7,487 promises. So there's plenty of promises in there. And I told you also that I have some promises written in my phone to help me, but here's just a few. For example, God will never leave you or forsake you. God has plans for us to prosper us not to harm us. And God works for the good in all things for those who love him. Read some Bible stories about people who trusted in God, people like Noah or Abraham or Esther or Joseph. None of them had an easy time, but they kept their faith, they kept trusting, and God came through for them in the end. And remind yourself what you know to be true about God, even when you are doubting. He is good, he loves you, he sees you, he cares for you. He cares about what you're going through and he has a good plan for your life. Because actually, what's the alternative to trusting? If we're not trusting, then we're worrying, we're doubting, we're getting discouraged, we're becoming fearful. And let's be honest, at its basic level, Worry is an indication that we doubt God and his love for us. But if he loves us enough to send his son to die for us, and we've celebrated that this morning, then he definitely loves us enough to take care of whatever we might be going through. I love these words in Psalm 116. 
It says, relax, because the Lord takes care of you. And another very well-known Bible verse on trust that we probably all can say in our sleep, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's an, that's an imperative sentence again. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So again, the things that we have to do in that sentence, we need to trust him. We need to try not to work it all out for ourselves. We need to seek his will. And what will he do in return? He will show us which path to take. Really, it's not complicated. It's actually quite simple, but just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. Did you know that trusting has many health benefits? If you're trusting, you're less anxious, stressed and fearful. And actually, I love this verse in Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. Trusting in God also brings hope and it has been scientifically proven. In 2015, there was a study which was called the relationship between trust in God and hope. And there were 282 university students completed a series of tests and the results indicated that trust in God increased scores for hope, supporting the suggestion that trust in God is better for your mental health. So there you go. Or the Bible puts it this way. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isn't that lovely? So in conclusion, learning to trust God takes commitment and time. And God will develop our trust, but by making us practice it. So when he gives you opportunities to practice trust, praise him. We can confidently trust God for the future, when we can see how he's helped us in the past. But we need to be intentional about trusting him. And we need to keep doing it over and over again. Every time our trust tank develops a leak, we need to keep trying to fill it up again. Instead of worrying, we need to worship, just like Job did. Instead of panicking, we need to praise. Because when we trust in God, our stress levels go down and our hope goes up. And I was going to end my message right there. And then yesterday, God did a thing. You know, that kind of stuff that God does occasionally. And a letter came through the post. And at the top of this letter, it was from UCB, it says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And I just would like to read you what the letter says. It's a, it's a, a, a story because I thought, thank you, God. I, I see you sent that letter to arrive today, as in yesterday. One Friday morning, several years ago, our company secretary came to see me. David, we have a problem, he said. Our cash flow is bad. We need half a million pounds. When you are responsible for a large organisation, this is never good news to hear. 
Coming from a commercial background, I knew it was quite common to operate a business out of an overdraft, but I did not feel this was the answer for UCB. I did not know what the solution was, but firstly, I knew that we needed to pray. When facing unexpected news, it is easy to get caught up in meetings and discussions, but at that moment, I wanted to be alone so that I could ask God for his answer. I took out my Bible and felt God prompt me to read Jeremiah 17, where my eyes initially fell to verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. How lovely. As I read this, I felt especially encouraged that we were to have no worries in a year of doubt. But in my heart, I still didn't feel fully peaceful. I felt God prompt me to read Jeremiah 17 again, but this time I needed to read the whole chapter. I have to admit that verses four to six shocked me. They were curses about goods being plundered and lives being destroyed. I remember praying, God, I do not understand. First, you gave us a promise and a blessing, and now I'm reading about a curse. What are you saying to us? But verse five suddenly came alive to me. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. I felt this was our answer. I knew I had a decision to make. Where should we take our strength from? Should we rely on an overdraft, which came from mere flesh, or could we find the courage to trust God, believe his promise and see what he would do? Can we find the courage to believe God trust in his promise and see what he will do. My prayer for you is that we will, that whatever situation you might be facing, you will find the courage to trust in God for the answers. Even if he's silent, even if it's not going the way you hoped or planned or were praying for, that you will keep on trusting because I believe that if you do that, he will come through for you in the end. Amen.